So welcome back to the Disabled Tales. I have here a guest with me named Nico, if you want to say hi. Hi everyone, I'm Nico Meyering. Honestly, we're all right with pets here. Sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, you uh, were wanting to come on to talk about some stuff um, in regards to, you know, community and statistics and, you know, just being a really good disability advocate for us. Yes, thank you. Hi, world. My name is Nico Meyering, and I use he, him pronouns. Um, for folks who are joining us with a visual difficulty, I'm a Caucasian man. I have blonde hair that today is parted in the middle. Uh, I'm wearing a green cardigan, um, and I have like large, dark-colored spectacles on. Um, I live with CCHS, and that stands for Congenital Central hypoventilation syndrome. It is an ultra rare autonomic nervous system disorder that results from a genetic mutation. The most common symptom, like the classic symptom of CCHS is a suppressed automatic impulse to breathe or a automatic impulse to breathe that is entirely absent. CCHS cases differ from one person to the next. For me, I'm only ventilator dependent during sleep or during severe illness, but there are some people with CCHS who are dependent 24-7 on mechanical ventilation. Because CCHS impacts your nervous system, it also impacts other parts of your experience, other parts of your existence. I like to say that your body's nervous system is like your body's uh, Congress. It has a little bit of influence in every aspect of your life. Um, so people with CCHS can also experience issues with their hearts, like tachycardia, uh, issues with their temperature control. So I don't do real well when it's very hot outside or very cold. Um, some of us have like GI issues or issues with our digestive function and then issues with vision as well. So obviously I wear glasses. Um, Right now, my main method of ventilation is a face mask. So I use a BiPAP at night. And um, it's gone actually pretty well for me. Um, I am someone who has built a modest but comfortable life here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So my daily medical needs are both met and they are not very intrusive. So I'm lucky in, in two ways there. I have to keep in mind that this is not the case for everyone with CCHS, and it's not the case for everyone who is disabled. Um, I feel like, you know, I do have a lot of privilege. Uh, I'm a cisgender man, I'm a straight man, I'm white. And when we have a lot of privilege, then we also have a responsibility to help out other people. Um, Spider-Man always tells us that with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yeah. um, I'm also someone who grew up disabled. So that's good because I've gotten my entire life to kind of get used to how things are. But it's bad because I never had disabled role models growing up. And I think it's very important that uh, the younger generation and kids with disabilities now do have those role models. So I'm trying to uh, lead the way and blaze that path, right? Um, let's face it, 20 to 25% of the global population are disabled people, but we're overlooked and we are underserved. Yeah. I think under 20% of us uh, work full-time and under 10% of us have a college degree or higher. Um, and I'm very lucky to have gotten my master's in public administration, which is something that I use almost every day uh, to help disability organizations and um, other groups of people that operate within the disability and chronic illness space. Uh, the vast majority of disabled people here in the US rely on social benefit programs like SSI or SSDI. Um, I am someone who also relied on disability income for, gosh, at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> We also rely upon food stamps sometimes and more. Um, 
3.5 million black women live with a disability. About 40% of black people overall with a disability live in poverty. Uh, so we're more likely to be victims of substance abuse. We're more likely to be victims of sexual abuse. And none of this should be the case. Like we can build a society where all of these sad stories, all these sad statistics don't have to be reality. And I feel like we sometimes lose sight of that here in the US. We really do. Um, you know, when you and I were talking before, um, we used phrases like, you know, at least it's not worse, or my symptoms are manageable, um, or something. And it's good that they are, Yeah. but we can still move towards um, cures. We can still move towards treatments that are more effective. It will take a lot of work. It will take nothing less than a restructuring of our society oh, yeah. and making uh, compassion a cornerstone of our society, where I would argue currently it is not. It's not. <laughs> um, but this is this is something that I'm trying to work towards, and I truly feel honored and lucky to have um, a full-time job that allows me to work from home. I have pretty good insurance. Uh, could be better, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Ah, see, there I go again. Um, <laughs> and to have a lot of free time and energy to give back to the disabled community. You and I both know that disabled people are talented. Disabled people are hardworking. We are smart, we are capable, resourceful, and we are a benefit to our communities, to our cities, to our families and our friends. Disabled people like you and me, and to all of you listening out there, deserve treatment, investment, research, and compassion. And this is even more true for people with rare diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those statistics, you know, some people are hearing this and it's shocking and surprising mm -hmm. to them and they might even be blown out of the water that it's actually true. But when you're living with disabilities and you unfortunately aren't in a well-off family from the get-go and mm -hmm. you are born with disabilities, so you end up growing up being disabled it ends up putting you and your family in situations that most families don't aim to be in i grew right. up i grew up uh poor and you know going to really rough public schools and not having great insurance i was a chip kid you know okay. <laughs> um we didn't my mom just barely made too much to be on Medicaid for me. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You fell to the cracks. Yep. So we, we got the one one step less for, you know, parents who are single and low income and need insurance for their kids because they can't get insurance through their jobs. Mm -hmm. And it was not great. Uh, it was hard to find, pra uh, you know, primary care physicians, much less specialists. So a lot of the times we ended up going to the ER because what else are you going to do, you know? When you can't find someone who will take your insurance, you can't That's afford to true. pay out of pocket. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like you mentioned, our society has this thing where we're great at short-term planning, we're great at heroic acts, but we really struggle with long-term planning. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of leave that up to the people who are really suffering and need help. And Correct. And, you know, the thing is, is that people have this assumption about disabled people that we don't want to work or something or that, you know, we're not productive or mm -hmm. useful. And that couldn't be further from the truth. A lot of people that are disabled actually do want to work. That's true. But it's also perfectly okay if they don't want to. Because frankly, the concept of working for a living is so full of capitalism. <laughs> It is. It is by necessity exploitative. Yeah. And 
I've never liked the idea that someone has to go to work in pain or sick just because they have to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's that's something we're seeing a lot right now, especially with COVID happening. Mm-hmm. Jobs aren't being very considerate towards their employees who, you know, don't have much in their savings account or frankly any and don't have PTO, don't have sick leave and suddenly they get COVID since, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going rampant right now with the Omicron variant and what are jobs doing? They are saying, oh, stay home for five days with no pay. Yeah. And then come back if you're not symptomatic still. Yeah, I was browsing LinkedIn earlier today and one of my connections who works at my uh, workplace posted something like, I'm getting an award. So I said, oh, that's wonderful. What is it for? And she said, it's the Dealing with COVID and Coordinating Back to Work Award. So it just struck me as odd how they're giving awards now for getting back into the office. Like they're rewarding you for going along with a system that codifies a practice that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. And that made me like offer a bit more muted congratulations, I guess I would say. I resonate so strongly, Maya, with what you said about how disabled people want to work and can work. It makes me think about how like dealing with a disability itself is is work. Working on healing for if you uh, are a, a abuse survivor, if you have PTSD or other mental health conditions, working on healing is is work. Working on recovering from a flare or recovering from an illness is work. And unfortunately, we don't have an environment right now that recognizes those types of labor as exactly that, as labor from which you have to recover. Labor that necessarily expends your resources on a daily basis. Just because you're not like getting income or generating revenue for yourself through your labors doesn't mean that you're like lazy. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Lazy or worthless or or whatever. You know, people have inherent value. You and I have inherent value. Our audience has inherent value and it is not dependent upon how many hours you work. It is not dependent upon how big your paycheck is. Um, and I'm going to shout this until I'm blue in the face. <laughs> Uh, hoping to make that more of a norm expectation, shall we say. Yeah, I have been working since I was 14, and Mm -hmm. I've had some employers that are super nice, understanding, don't push me, and are great, and have been willing to do accommodations. Whereas I've also had employers that just saw my accommodation request and went, what is this for? Do you have a doctor's note? How long have you had it? And even if we get a doctor's note, we're not going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) And it feels like you're almost getting getting interrogated by your own employer. What other (laughs) community has to consistently prove their status. I can't think right? of anything. Exactly. Yeah. No. It also makes me think about like how you're speaking about accommodations. Like under 10% of people who do identify as disabled in the workforce actually ask for accommodations. Yeah. And then, you know, perhaps an even lower percentage actually receive them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends is a freelance graphic designer who lives with cerebral palsy. Oh, wow. And yeah, so, you know, he's a freelancer and that has been a lot of work for him. The taxes, Disproportionately, yeah. <laughs> like disproportionately disabled people 
are people who fill like freelance jobs or part-time jobs and different works for you that's okay but my worry is that a lot of those jobs don't come with benefits and we need benefits we need insurance and uh, we need PTO and uh, having EAP would also help as well um, but that is why so many of us do seek out those jobs because typical jobs won't accommodate us. Uh, typical models of success don't pay attention to us. So we have to write our own story and tell our own success stories. And that can be, those waters can be difficult to navigate, shall we say. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been put in a really awkward situation. Um, shout out to Walgreens. Thanks. Um, I was a pharmacy tech for about a year. I actually loved my job. Um, the job itself was great. I had Mm -hmm. some of the best customers slash patients, however you want to refer them to, um, and some great coworkers. The thing that ultimately made me quit that job besides the fact that it was not a great paying job (laughs) was my manager. Yeah. And you'd think, considering the fact that he was a pharmacist, Mm -hmm. that he would get it. But the man clearly, and to this day, clearly does not get it. Um, So I had a mental health crisis where I had to be put into a 72-hour psychiatric hold. Sure. On Christmas. No. This Christmas? This past Christmas? No. No, no. Oh, years ago? Four years ago. Okay. Um, And I was working at Walgreens at the time, and I was scheduled to work the day after Christmas, and I had told the people at this uh, hospital, I need to call my employer, you know, before my shift's supposed to start, so that way at least he's not, you know, scrambling as much to find someone to cover this shift. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, 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 we'll let you talk on the phone later. And of course, they let me call like two hours past whenever I was supposed to be there. So I call and I, I talked to my manager and he mm-hmm. said, well, Maya, you've put us in a really inconvenient situation. We're going to have yes. to talk about this whenever you get back. Well, what he didn't know is that he almost set me up for a perfect lawsuit against him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I asked him, are you going to fire me? And he said, we'll talk about it when you get back. So uh, I see. He's so, trying to weasel out of it. Yeah. So I'm sitting here in a psychiatric hospital, already anxious because those mm-hmm. places are not great. That's like a whole other story there. But I'm already anxious as is. But now this man has made me so anxious that the people at the nurse's desk are like, "Girl, are you okay?" And oh my I'm like, God. no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah, talk about an inconvenient situation. Yeah. And so now I'm like panicking about mm-hmm. what's going to happen when I get out of here. And number one thing that's going across my mind is if I lose my apartment, I can't have my cats somewhere safe. I can't feed my cats. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? It, it was pretty much all about my cats. Um, single woman, two cats, what you gonna do? Sure, sure. And so I get back to work and he has realized that his threat that he has put upon me is very illegal. Didn't realize it. Uh And um, that they were like, oh, we actually have to go through a procedure for this. And they had me sign paperwork, but the thing is, is that it wasn't for, like, psychiatric holds or anything like that. It was for rehabs for drug addiction. And I was like, I, I'm not addicted to drugs. 
Oh, wow. And they're like, yeah, they don't actually have paperwork for your specific situation, so we're having to cross it out and actually put specifically. I was like, uh... That just seems real sketchy. It was. And so, of course, whenever this all happened, I immediately I'm calling HR like, hey, I need you to verify with, with me while I am standing here with them. Like, that I am signing paperwork that is not putting me in a position where I'm admitting to a drug addiction that I do not have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we legit don't have paperwork for your specific situation. So... Mm-hmm. They have been cleared. We apologize for this awkward situation. I'm like, thanks. Wow. And after that, I, like, my manager, when he wasn't screaming at me for helping patients, because I was taking a little extra time to help them get manufacturer coupons or, you know, discounts on their medication because, Mm -hmm. hi, Big Pharma, really expensive yes insulin for a five-year-old child suddenly medicaid's being iffy it costs like over a grand for a month supply Mm -hmm. and that the five-year-old clearly needs the insulin right if it's this difficult for them to get what they need and they're only five what's it going to be like in 20 years when they're 25 and they're on their own and they have to advocate for themselves and we're told that resources are even more scarce. Yeah. Which is not true. Yeah. They're just harder to find. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing is that um, the reason why I put together this podcast is one of the things you brought up is that, like, you know, role models. I didn't have disabled role models growing up. Right. You know, in fact, it was kind of a hush hush thing. I grew up in the Deep South, you know we uh-huh. we don't talk about that sort of thing and anytime i've brought up you know certain things in regards to any of my disabilities whether the mental health stuff or the physical things it's always been very hush hush we don't talk about that openly you know unless I'm about to have surgeries or something and then they're like oh yeah let's let's send her get well cards and (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah like I didn't have those growing up and I didn't have a resource that I could watch or listen to where I felt like someone got it like that someone really understood what I was going through as a kid being disabled feeling like I didn't fit in because on top of all this I'm neurodivergent Uh I I have uh, ADHD and suspecting autism. (laughs) Reason being, a lot of my family clearly has autism, as well as my sister. She actually has a professional diagnosis. But I didn't start uh, suspecting that until I got re-diagnosed with ADHD last Mm -hmm. year and started really looking into how I approach social situations and like emotions and feelings and stuff like that and so the only reason why I'm not pursuing a formal diagnosis is because of how I've seen people with a formal diagnosis get treated after absolutely suddenly you go from not being taken very seriously to begin with (laughs) Mm -hmm. to now you're being infantilized by doctors because they think that you can't advocate for yourself. Right. You can't win. Yeah. So I grew up with all that and I, you know, really wanted to just kind of have something where people could hear different perspectives, different things that, you know, we don't really talk about all that often because truth be told the only real thing i hear about in regards to disabilities when i'm not on twitter because <laughs> let's be real twitter is just kind of all over the place and very open and honest mm-hmm. which is great in some aspects but all i just hear about is the s- statistics and 
um, really, really sad stories that just reveal, you know, someone's struggling and not really going into too much detail, just this person's struggling. It's sad, isn't it? Or It is sad. Or using inspiration stuff, like being like, they could get through it, so you can. And it's right, like, right. I feel like able-bodied <laughs> people miss the fact that disability is a spectrum in many ways, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to disability experience. Yep. Um, one of my best friends, um, someone who I'd known for, you know, over ten years, uh, also was someone with autism and. Uh, he's been gone about a year now, but up until that point, he was a very big advocate for folks in the autism community yeah. uh, and in the disability community in general. So um, it makes me think about how disability community is so important. Like you mentioned, uh, the disability community on Twitter, um, hashtag disability Twitter is fairly active every day. I enjoy yeah. reading it. Um, I feel like I learn at least one big lesson every year. Uh, and 2021 taught me that we we tend to the communities that have tended to us. Mm-hmm. So being disabled impacts me. Having CCHS impacts me because it makes me see just how interconnected we all are. Uh, here in the U.S., we're big on being independent and um, having our freedoms. But it's more accurate to say that we're interdependent, we're all connected. Like if I drive my car onto the highway and go to the next town over, I I didn't build that car. I didn't pave that road. I rely upon a community to have done that for me. And that's what, you know, our tax dollars go towards good roads and other things. Uh, Getting back on topic. Disabled writer and editor Alice Wong tells us the narrative trajectory of our lives is necessarily web. And we see that when we think about the number of people uh, in the disability community who have diverse voices, diverse experiences, uh, and so on. You know, I worry that life is only going to get like more difficult for the disability community now is the time for us to rally together. Now is the time for us to speak up and we have to start this future that we wanna see. And that future can be compassionate, it can be accessible, uh, it can be a future that is equitable and where we emphasize having um, heart for one another. So this is what my efforts are are going toward. Um, If anyone is interested, I would recommend resources uh, like Diversability or Chronically Capable, and you can Google these. Uh, diversability, Chronically Capable, uh, You Matter is good. Uh, I've been affiliated with the CCHS Family Network, and I was on their board for about six years or so. Um, there are organizations out there that want to help you. It can depend upon your you know, area and your location, but it's important to reach out and find someone or find a group of people who can help you carry this existence and this it well not burden because you're not a burden but it's good to not feel alone and it's good to know that there are people out there who know what you're going through yeah even if they can't provide substantive solutions or aid yeah i had a i think a few months ago i joined this uh, Discord server that um, Joanna No Banana on uh, on Twitter. Yes, I've you, seen this yeah. account pop up. Yeah, I I've bought a couple shirts from her. She's great. Um, she helps this server sometimes, and she uh, shared it one day on Twitter, um, and it's specifically for people with disabilities, chronic mm-hmm. illnesses. Um, mental health conditions, all sorts of stuff. And basically, like, there's even channels on this Discord server where, you know, you can just vent. You don't want any advice. It literally says venting no advice. 
you know. And, That's and, important. Yeah. And then there's there's another channel where it says venting seeking advice. And sure, yeah, you're not guaranteed to get advice because, you know, sometimes people aren't available or they just don't know what to say, you know. Right. But there's also channels for, like, individual conditions as well. So you can, you know, join a community specifically for your condition and talk about it with people who get it, directly uh-huh. get it. And joining that server, honestly, was one of the best things that I've done for, like, my mental health as well as just self-care in general. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. I think support groups can be both beneficial and I'm not going to say dangerous, but I guess um, I'm wary of them on an occasion, you know? Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, for me, Mm -hmm. the uh, big thing that I had with my condition, uh, intracranial hypertension, was the fact that uh, after I had my surgeries, I went into what we, we call remission. Um, so my symptoms are no longer there. I don't have issues with my IH anymore. Um, and so with that, unfortunately came what I call survivor's guilt. Okay. Um, what people don't really talk about too often in the disability community is how we're at a much higher risk of suicide. Mm-hmm. And if your disability, chronic illness, whichever, is affecting your brain directly, it even it, it gets even worse of a possibility right. of that happening. And so a lot of people I see in specifically intracranial support uh, intracranial hypertension support groups on like Facebook, not not mm-hmm. Discord, but just Facebook in general, um, it can get really sad really fast because you see a lot of people who are are desperate for hope Mm -hmm. they've they've tried every treatment and nothing has worked and so they are at their end they are just so tired yeah and then add in the fact that this you know disease can also affect children so seeing like eight year olds getting shunts whew, that, that can be really wrenching. That that hurts. Because mm-hmm. I was I'm having to think numbers. I was twenty three when I had my VP shunt placed. Mm-hmm. I could not imagine going through that surgery and the recovery at that age. It's just absolutely heart-wrenching, and I'll be honest, it's it's why me and my husband ultimately decided that we're not having children. Ah, uh, yes. Me and my girlfriend as well. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend is also someone who deals with disabilities, so we were like, yeah, just pets. Yeah, and and we are the same way too. We we love our animals. We love animals in general. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, we rather spend time trying to, you know, save animals in shelters that 100% need it and I can take in, you know, like five animals and not feel overwhelmed whereas five right. kids is a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I sometimes with support groups, it's it can be great, but at the same time, it can be it can be a lot. It can be yes, and I think that part of the reason is that if you're not really experiencing a lot of challenges with a condition, if you know what you're doing, and if you know you're able to navigate these things then you're less likely to be active in support groups. Whereas people who have problems that need addressing or who have questions that need addressing, they're more likely to be active. And so to a casual visitor, it might seem like uh, a very like overall negative place. 
Um, and I totally understand that as well. Um, as someone who helps moderate several online like disability spaces. Yeah, I I definitely like so whenever I was not in remission yet, I was mm -hmm. on there a lot, you know, asking questions, being like, hey, you know, what's y'all's experiences? What would you tell, you know, past you before you had your your shunt surgeries to do or what mm -hmm. to say, etc. Like, I was on there asking for advice myself frequently. Right. But I also started to try and open up a space within that space of, hey, for the people who are in remission, why don't we answer some of these people's questions so that way that they can maybe get help to get to the place that we're at right now. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that, not on Facebook, just because like, it can get overwhelming in there, and it's a lot of people in there. Mm. But unlike Reddit, where it's it's easier, <laughs> so much easier, and people generally are pretty like willing to listen and don't get weird with me. Valid, completely valid. Yeah. So yeah, I I've I've done a lot of like ask me anything's on there, and like you know mention like I have a stent, I also have a VP shunt. Mm. What do you want to know? <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I understand the greatness of a support group while understanding the um, wariness of them as well. Yes, both of these things can be true independent of each other, but also at the same time. It's so important to when we talk about disability, move away from disability as tragedy or disability as life limiting and then also tell stories of disabled joy. Yeah. Tell stories of disabled success yeah. and to help people see that um, disabled people are 95, 99% just the same as anybody else. And we want and deserve the same things that others want and deserve. Yeah, yeah people confuse uh, equity and equality frequently. So they're like, they we, everything should be equal. And I'm like, I understand where you're coming from and that mm -hmm. this is the word you're familiar with. But actually, it's equity we need. That, yeah. is, that is what we need. I hadn't considered that. It's true that people would probably be more familiar with the word equality than equity. Yeah. Because equity doesn't get used enough in uh, spaces that are privileged. And that both includes abled bodies as well as um, people who are white and so, or even straight white people. I am not in that category. I am white, but I am not straight. <laughs> and so I've been, I've been fighting for equity in so many realms of communities for years. And one of those things additionally that people, I, I've, I've blown some minds telling people about this. Uh, so marriage equality, mm -hmm. disability, disabled people, we don't, yes. we don't have that. We don't have that at all. That's true. <laughs> We, we don't have that one bit. Mm -hmm. When I was receiving SSI and SSDI, I had considered like getting serious with my then girlfriend and honestly losing what was at the time my only source of income because I was still in college was a huge, huge like dissuading factor. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think the outdated and antiquarian limits on income as it relates to SSI and SSDI uh, or other assistance programs is completely wrongheaded. It's a relic from a bygone time. And ultimately this rule that you can't have more than, what is it, $2,000 yeah. um, overall to your name, which includes money in your wallet, 
money in your bank, any land that you have, any assets that you can reasonably sell. Um, it forces disabled people to live month to month. Yep. It forces them to look for ways to skirt the system. Yep. And it also relegates them, relegates us to lives of poverty and or living in unsafe housing conditions and or living in um, a house or apartment with like tons of other people, which, I don't know, I'm an introvert personally. I am too. Ah, uh, yes. And that just sounds like completely untenable. One of my friends um, from high school and middle school ended up developing obsessive compulsive disorder. To the extent where like she can't hold down regular work um and then she's also um assigned male at birth and she's trying to like make some money happen for her gender reassignment surgeries and finally getting to live in the body that she's always wanted to live in yeah so you know in that realm as well she has in no way shape or form served well by this this fiduciary limit no. year in and year out we do try to get a bill passed through congress that would raise this limit or do away with it altogether and time and time again it gets it gets defeated because disabled people are overlooked and we're seen as acceptable losses uh and i feel like the prevailing notion is as long as we take care of the majority of people, the majority being able-bodied people or what have you, then everybody else can, you know, be acceptable but unfortunate losses. And that shouldn't be the case. Um, we're disabled and our lives have value. Yeah, and, uh, and that actually like reminds me of how this, like I know this, uh, this topic feels just completely out-talked and we've been screaming at the top of our lungs about this for the past two years, but um, the fact that we are about to remove regulations and guidelines for COVID mm -hmm. by the CDC is outrageous. Because if you talk to anyone who works in a hospital right now, mm -hmm. they'll tell you they're packed. Like, we're still not back to, I don't want to say normal, but I will say, like, pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, no, like, we're not. Teachers are still quitting their jobs yep. because they don't want to go in to teach. Nurses and doctors are still overworked and underpaid. Yep. And I don't know. I wouldn't call a system held together with duct tape and prayer to be sustainable, but no. we're told to pretend like it is, I guess. Yeah, I uh, I have a lot of people in my life who work in hospitals right now, mm -hmm. and they are drowning in patients. And the worst mm -hmm. part is, is that there are, uh, most hospital systems aren't putting in that their patients that came in with COVID that are now their long term. Right are technically, you could say, long COVID or post COVID, they're not keeping it updated that they have COVID. So mm. people- So they're playing with the numbers to tell the story that yeah. they want to tell. I yeah. see. Yeah, and additionally, it puts the people that are coming into their rooms to you know take their vitals, check in on them, treat them at risk, because now they don't mm. even know. Now, should they absolutely be wearing N95 masks no matter what? Yes. Are they always provided though? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Will some surgeons just straight up refuse to wear them? Yeah. Which is, yeah, that that's a thing that is actually happening. I am personally mortified by it like I get that you already have to wear the surgical mask right but is it really that much more to also wear the K95 too <laughs> like yeah 
I know that the public in general is tired of masks and tired of mandates. I'm not. (laughs) That is reasonable. But I don't know. I just thought that we would care about our neighbors a bit more. I thought so too. (laughs) I guess I've been disabused of that notion. I mean, I will, I will continue caring for my neighbors and the people around me and making sure that they are safe because I will not stop wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And that goes for both the fact that I want to keep them safe and try my best to keep myself safe too, but also the fact that I kind of enjoy wearing masks nowadays, to be honest with you. The, the aspect of, you know, covering up my acne and also, uh, and also like, you know, if I'm in a situation, especially at work, where I can't say what I'm actually thinking and I'm like mouthing it to myself, you know, they can't tell I'm doing that. It covers my expression. I don't get told to smile anymore. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So, you know. I I love masks. I think we should keep them just like some Asian countries have had them forever. That's true. And like actually do the thing where, oh, they're sick with a cold. They're going to put a mask on so that way they don't get other people sick. Right. And that in turn (laughs) helps not overtax the hospital system. Yeah. Like I haven't, I usually get like the flu or something every year without fail. This, the past two years, nothing. Mm -hmm. I did get COVID, but like, honestly, I got like the most contagious COVID variant that like, it it was, at this point, it feels like it was going to happen whether I liked it or not. Right. But yeah, I, otherwise, my allergies have not acted up as much, which if you're from a southern state, allergies are awful here oh yeah (laughs) i remember it well but not fondly no you invest in honey in local honey for a while while you're here because at this point you're like i gotta prepare but then you have the mask and it blocks out the allergens and it's great it's like this is why weren't we doing this before (laughs) why was this looked down upon before yes yeah but i understand that people want it to go back to normal badly i do and it's not that i don't want it to go back to normal either but the problem Mm -hmm. is is that we're not in a position for it to you know be brought down to what normal would be at that's right and we're not keeping in my opinion at least a close eye on other COVID variants that could pop up. Mm-mm. Likely as a result of our, you know, halfway measures. Yep. If you go halfway about it, you're going to have halfway results. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, the people that are suffering for it the most are the ones who are at the highest risk for it. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. which, like you mentioned, uh, disabi- uh, disabled people account for, you said it was 25% to 30%. It's around there, yeah. yeah 30% of the population. While we were talking, while we were talking, sorry, I read an article from Andrew Polring. He writes for Forbes and he is someone with a tracheotomy. Yeah. Uh, and he puts it at 26%. Okay. So All it's right. around there. Yeah. So, and like you mentioned, that, you know, the government and just generally people who are abled, if they, if they feel like they're helping the majority of people out. Mm-hmm. So, 70%, 75% of people, then what's, what's 25, 26%, you know? Yeah, I fear that that is the mindset. That... It really feels like the mindset. It feels like I'm in Shrek and we're dealing with Lord Farquaad in our country. <laughs> <laughs> some, uh, of, some of you will die, and that's a risk that I'm willing to take. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, thanks for consulting with us. Appreciate it. But yeah, I I feel as though that is where we're at right now with mm-hmm. how the CDC, the you know government, just the entire world is handling it. Correct. Well, Maya, thank you for taking the time to sit down and speak with me. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I I had a lovely time talking to you about all of this stuff thank because you. honestly. I love bringing science into the conversation, so having those statistics and, you know, having your experience um, with both being an advocate and also being a person with disabilities is really, really appreciated on here because we can always need more advocates. And I will definitely be putting um, the names of those resources that you listed in the description whenever I release this, so that way people can find it easily. Um, And honestly, I really loved having you on here because truthfully, I am wanting to become more of an advocate and having someone on here who has that perspective is awesome. Thank you. I am someone who believes strongly in the power of community, as you know. Uh, So I'll toss like a few more resources out there. Um, The National Disability Mentoring Coalition is an organization that is exactly what it says. It believes strongly in disability mentoring, whether that's in an employment sense or a learning life skills sense, or just building things like um, resilience, coping skills, and social skills. Uh, So I was honored to be inducted into the National Disability Mentoring Hall of Fame last March. So I joined some August company um, and they're an organization that you can reach out to if you wanna get more involved in disability advocacy or if you wanna read some more positive stories about disabled people succeeding in life, that is a great resource. If you want to have a conversation with your employer about accommodations you might need in the workplace um, or you need like a template for a doctor's note or whatever, the Job Accommodation Network, uh, J-A-N, is also out there. You can Google them and they have like email templates and guides that will really help you. Um, I am someone who like has to sit for a few hours and craft an email exactly with how I want to say it. So having a template to go off of really puts my mind at ease. Uh, so again, for the audience, I'm Nika Meyering, and I am at name starts with N on Twitter and on Instagram. Okay. All right. Well, I loved having you on here, Nico, and I will include your social media handles as well so people can follow you on there. Anyways, so that was Nico on here on the Disabled Tales, and we will be back next time. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.